Good evening, everyone. Friends, uh, our first reading, uh, Paul and Barnabas are uh, preaching first and foremost to the Jews, uh, the chosen ones, and uh, they will not listen, as we were told in our first reading. So they begin to preach to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles is anyone who is not a Jew. And uh, this is fulfillment of Isaiah 49, 6, where the light of salvation will reach the ends of all the earth, and in their time, that is the understanding, the Gentile world would be all over, uh, the, all over the globe, if you will. Our second reading uh, from the book of Revelations uh, is a hymn, a canticle, uh, encouraging those who are persecuted, uh, those who will stay true to the faith. You will have your crown in heaven. And our uh, reading from the gospel uh, is it's about uh, eternal life. It's about uh, unison, um, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and uh, about people coming together. My friends, I'm, uh, ye yesterday, uh, Friday at the Daily Mass, the children from the school come, and um, I attempted something that I normally don't do. I was talking to them about the body and blood of Christ, and I thought, let me bring in this other element, this uh, analogy for them. My first mistake with them was I brought in a movie series that they didn't know what it was because the last, friend, the last movie was made 10 years ago. <laughs> I, 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 so then I was babbling about it and, and even the, the content I was trying to get, make my point and I just don't. Did I, do any, did I make any progress, teacher? I see you back there. Did it, you were there. Did, did it work at all? Did they? Uh, a little bit. It just, it was a complete failure, to be honest. She's being charitable. <laughs> so I thought the only way you get better at it is by trying that style of homily. So I'm going to try that tonight with you using uh, totally something totally different. Um, so my friends, we are on the fourth Sunday of Easter. We always hear from John's Gospel, and it usually is about uh, the theme of the Good Shepherd, which we heard. Um, it is a time that we uh, pray for vocations uh, to the church, uh, definitely for uh, the priesthood, but for the religious life also. And um, this evening, I want to take a look at the background and the setting for this reading. Um, as you know, it's very important for us to always understand not only the content, but the context of what's happening. And... Um, John situates the scene that we read in the gospel today by saying that Jesus, uh, if you read it completely, Jesus is walking uh, in the beautiful temple precincts before this event happens. And it was during the Jewish celebration of what they, we understand as the Feast of Dedication. Um, we know it by a different name. We know it as, it's called Hanukkah today. It commemorates the rededication of the temple of one um, that fell in 165 BC, uh, pagans have profaned and desecrated the temple uh, to God. Uh, the Jews recovered control over the temple, and then they lit lights that illumined in their homes and streets in the temple. And this was known as the Festival of Lights, and um, and thus the meaning of uh, the menorah. It is during this celebration that Jesus promises his disciples eternal life, assuring them that they will never perish. 
this was a difficult concept for the Jewish people to grasp because for hundreds and hundreds of years, they had very little understanding of such things. And um, they simply could not conceive of life without a body. And so when Jesus is speaking about the resurrection, he's talking about the body, not just the spirit, but his body. And um, so this is a difficult concept for them. And then later thinking, it's hard for people today, uh, I might add, but uh, Jewish thought later, uh, my understanding is that uh, they understand God as being all just. And uh, in this world, they knew that good people often suffered while wicked people frequently prospered. So they put forth, they wondered, uh, how would this be reconciled if God is just, uh, if he is to be vindicated? Um, they ultimately concluded then there had to be some kind of afterlife in which God would redress all the wrongs by rewarding the good and punishing that which is evil. So my friends, we look to the Old Testament then, which is their book of Torah, and it's the book of wisdom, uh, chapter 2, offers some of the earliest assurances of an afterlife uh, found in sacred scripture. And still the concept of resurrection and eternal life remained elusive to many people then as it does today. The Sadducees, which was one of the religious groups, really found any talk of the resurrection as ridiculous. Uh, they just thought it was pure nonsense. And Jesus dismissed them as not understanding the true spiritual nature of the resurrected body. He tried to use scripture to refute them, to get them to understand. And, uh, He cited most famously from the Torah uh, for the Jewish people. This is the most sacred of the written scriptures for them in the Old Testament. He quoted God's own words in his first encounter with Moses, found in the book of Exodus, where, and you've heard me talk about this, where uh, God, God says, I am God of Abraham. I am God of Isaac, and I am God of Jacob. He's using present tense. I am, not I was their God, because I no longer am because they're dead. He's saying I am because they are very much alive. Since those great patriarchs have been dead for hundreds of years, at that time, Jesus argued that God's use of the present tense, I am, proved that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still very much alive. Many people today, even devout Christians, have difficulty understanding what the resurrection means because we have never experienced resurrection that way. Uh, nature, however, offers some analogies. Here we go, folks, hang on, because <laughs> I totally failed yesterday with these. <laughs> so here are some analogies that provide from nature insights, uh, although it does not completely remove the mystery. St. Paul uses the image of a seed giving life to a new and different form of existence. Seed, plant, flower. 1 Corinthians 15, if you're wondering where it's at. St. Paul would ultimately suggest our mortal bodies are the seed for a far more glorious body that will live one day with God forever. Now, another example in nature would be water beetles. They live on the lakes, but eventually crawl onto a twig. They secure themselves to it, and then they die. 
within a relatively short period of time thereafter, the heat dries their shell and it begins to crack. At that point, a dragonfly emerges and flies off into a new and happy life. <laughs> we assume it's happy. <laughs> but it's completely different uh, from when it was waterbound as a beetle. Is this working? Because I have more. If not, say, Father, stop right now. Never mind science. Uh, so uh, I, many people are fascinated by dragonflies. That's why I went after this one. But the other one that uh, people are very fond of are caterpillars. And uh, um, a caterpillar is capable of only crawling on the ground. But then it spins a cocoon, crawls inside of it, and it is transformed into a beautiful butterfly capable of fluttering and flying freely in the sky. Now, I know what you're saying. Science calls this metamorphosis. We accept, here's my point, we accept these marvelous transformations of these lesser creatures in nature without question or difficulty. Nobody questions the water beetle. If you didn't know where the dragonfly came from, now you know from the water beetle. Or you already know about butterflies, that they are caterpillars. My question then is why do we humans bulk at the thought of our own bodily transformation and resurrection? My friends, uh, I, I, curiously, I found a quote from a scientist from the 60s, uh, Werner von Braun. Uh, and my understanding is he was the father of the American space program. And on the topic of transformation, is he gave by far one of the strongest affirmations of immortality of the human person that one can find in science. So here is his quote. Many people seem to think that science has somehow made religious notions untimely and antiquated. But I think, he says, science has a real surprise for these skeptics. Science, for instance, tells us that nothing in nature, not even the tiniest particle, can disappear without a trace. Nature does not know extinction. All it knows is transformation. Now, if God applies this fundamental principle to the most minute and insignificant parts of the universe, water beetle, caterpillar, does it not make sense to assume that he applied it also to the human person? He goes on to say, I think it does. And everything in science has taught me, he said, and continues to teach me. And it strengthens my belief in the continuity of our spiritual existence after death. Lorenz, I bring this up because people use science all the time against Christianity. And that tension is really gone for the most part. And uh, so here I am using these examples. Did I do better? Okay, she's the teacher. I got to, uh, and I, I told the people on yesterday too. I said, that's why Father Mark should never be inside of a school trying to teach. He's best here where the Holy Spirit guides him <laughs> mostly. Um, so, my friends, uh, so now if God applied his established scientific and mathematical principles, as I call it, to the most minute and insignificant, as this scientist said, comparatively, of his creation, doesn't it make sense 
to assume that he would apply this to us then? Why then should we balk at the resurrection by God's grace and faith in Jesus Christ? But more importantly, you and I as Christians should accept the resurrection as true and believe it simply because Jesus Christ has said so. He has told us, and we shouldn't doubt it. And then he came and showed us. Remember, the apostles did not believe in Jesus until, I mean, that he was the Messiah and everything until he was resurrected from the dead. Remember when they crucified him? Remember, we just went through Easter. They were hiding in an upper room, terrified. Mama Mary was with them, probably consoling them, but they were terrified. They just thought the whole world had ended. Jesus comes, resurrected in body. I know you'll laugh when I say, and it has a barbecue for them on the beach. He eats with them because he's trying to dispel all the other things. I'm not just a spirit. I'm not just a ghost. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not a delusion on a grand scale where all, you know, 13 of you can see this. I'm doing this. And from that point on, they left that upper room where they were terrified, and they preached Jesus Christ resurrected, alive, and then said, follow him, walk in his ways. And this is what we're supposed to be doing. So my friends, uh, this was kind of a new way for me to approach a homily. <laughs> Certainly email me and let me know, yeah, no. Uh, go back to what you're doing. Go back to the other things you were doing the other ways. It's uncomfortable, but I know that if I, my priest friend said, yeah, you're not good at those kind of things. Uh, he said, we know that. He said, and you don't do anything to help improve. Uh, and he said, you have a school? <laughs> So I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to learn as, like, I figured the more I try this style, the better I might get at it. Now, my friends, um, I'm the pastor of here of St. Nicholas in Gig Harbor, the Catholic Church here. And um, I tried to live my life peacefully with everyone. And my master and my Lord has told me never, ever to return evil with evil. This is his command. As a matter of fact, he said, I tell you, love others as I have loved you. And then he went further with us, and he said, and I tell you, love those who persecute you. So I do my best, and I've always tried to teach you to do the same, to live at peace. Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when they insult you, and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. I wish peace. I wish peace. But if people want to bring their evil to my door, to my house, I will be ready for them. You want freedom of speech? That's fine. Take it to the Capitol. 
I do not come into your house spewing evil and wicked things. Do not come into mine. You have a right to your opinion, so do I, because I'm an American. I'm a Catholic who happens to be an American. And I stand up for my rights, too. I do not tell someone else to shut up. Let them speak. That's what our country does. But to threaten, and so my friends, with all humility, societies and kingdoms and people have been trying to destroy the Catholic Church for 2,000 years. They have persecuted us and killed us for 2,000 years. Not only from the outside, but venomous snakes that get inside the church and try and destroy it. But Christ promised, nothing prevails against my church. And while we on this earth are not perfect, Christ is. So I say, bring it. Bring it. Give me the best you got, because when you persecute me and utter evil against me, my crown in heaven gets bigger. Thank you. God knows that I'm a peaceful person, but that will not be tolerated. I will not tolerate it. Friends, um, I, I do not understand that kind of evil and wickedness. Um, and long after they are gone, those who persecute us, the church will still be standing because it's still here 2,022 years later. Now, later, earlier, I had a very ugly way of saying it. I won't say it because Christ is like, no, no, that's wicked for you to say. Um, but so I've changed mine. But no, uh, this is an opportunity, as Christ said, to pray for those who persecute us. That is what he wants from us. He wants us to stand for the truth. But he will be giving us, apparently, an opportunity to pray for those who are going to persecute us regarding Roe versus Wade and many other things. And just for the record, Father Mark loves everyone. And Father Mark's concern as a Roman Catholic priest is for the unborn. And my concern is also for our elderly. And my concern is also for those who are in prison and imprisoned unfairly. And my concern is for our little ones and our teens who commit suicide because this world has taught them to live in despair. So my concern is across the board when it comes to dignity of life, from the unborn to the elderly and everyone in between. So when they lodge the argument that all we are concerned about are unborn, that is a lie. It is a lie. The church is concerned about all human life from beginning to end. Amen? To the moms, happy Mother's Day. Let us try and live peaceably with each other, never giving up what we hold true, but to live at peace with others as Christ wanted. Huh?